Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry, again. On the show today, he's the brother of an A-lister, proud to say it, but he has quite a story to tell. Yes, he does. Over 25 years after transplant, his heart is still going strong today. <sighs> yeah, we're going to pick his brain. And we're going to talk about interpreting body language. Why is she looking Uh-oh. at me? Why? What, what's happening? <laughs> What, is, what am I doing right you? Now. What does that mean? I'm watching you. I'm nervous. All right. So obviously I'm going to be taking notes and watching you out <laughs> there. All right. Uh, but our goal here is to spur those healthy conversations about donation, guys. So our ask is that you share what we um, learn here together. So, Joey, we try to make it as easy as possible to find. Once you find us, rate and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. And we are now again on what? Spotify. Spotify. That is awesome. You were excited about that, huh? A little social media darling. Yes, right. indeed. Right. I okay. like it. Or, of course, you can always find us at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Thegiftedlife.org. I'm repetitive today, huh? I like that. All right. Um, on social media, Facebook, uh, you can follow us, The Gifted Life Podcast, Twitter and Instagram, at Gifted Life Pod. Lots of good information there. Um, and you can see the pictures. You can interact with us. We really want to hear from you because you, you're right there. You're part of our team. So we have lots to get to on this episode, episode 103. So we're going to jump right in. Here on The Gifted Life, special guest joining us to talk about an incredible story and how this person is paying it forward. Michael Kutcher joins us now. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you, Lori? Man, we are good, guys. We are excited to have him on. Thanks for taking the time. Um, So if you do a quick Google search, your name pops up all over, right? So you're uh, the twin uh, famous actor Ashton Kutcher. And we're focusing on you because you have a tie to our mission. Yes. which is to save more lives through transplantation. And so we're glad that you're here. We want you on our team to help save more lives. And so can you take us back? Tell us your story. Why don't you take it from there? Where do I begin, right? <laughs> right. Um, Birth, maybe? I don't know, Michael. <laughs> what, yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a number of years ago, 27 years ago um, in December. So I was, you know, it was 1991. I mean, eighth grade, you know, enjoying life as a normal 13-year-old would be. And, uh, you know, we're enjoying our, our Thanksgiving break, I think, as every eighth grader probably does with, you know, a week and a half vacation. Right. And, uh, but I, I became ill. You know, I, I just had kind of flu-like symptoms, didn't really know what was going on. At that point, you, you know, my parents were, well, my mom was, kind of hesitant to take me to a, to a physician because, you know, if it's a flu, it's just, you know, it's going to pass and yeah. things will go, go by and, uh, and you'll get better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you usually go to the doctor, they just tell you, Hey, it's viral, go home and take some aspirin and you'll see another day. And, um, what, what actually occurred is being at home for a week, things weren't getting better. Um, I was, you know, dehydrated, couldn't keep any food down, 
just ill. And so my, my mom took me into the, uh, the area hospital. And, and uh, at that point, I was diagnosed with uh, cardiomyopathy, uh, viral cardiomyopathy. Uh, and um, I was told that I needed, needed a transplant. Um, so I read somewhere that so. when you were diagnosed, I said I, I was reading, uh, you know, lots of articles about you, but it said that your heart was actually four times the size of a normal heart for someone your age and your size. So that's yeah. scary. Like you're, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, and here I am fine, right? I had no indication, nothing from birth. Um, I just got sick and you're correct. I mean, my heart was four times the size and, um, <clears throat> You know, at that point when I was diagnosed, the cardiologist actually told me that, you know, it was it was worse than just needing a transplant because obviously my, my family's there and at thirteen years old I'm not I'm not really catching the gravity of what's right, going on. Right, no doubt. Right. Um, I, I often joke when I give when I speak to people and tell them, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Okay, you know, I got two questions. You know, how long am I going to be at school and how much ice cream do I like? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, like, I'm thinking. The most questions. important questions, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Because I, I'm thinking, like, you know, they've got a, a heart in, like, a pickle jar somewhere. Right. That <laughs> of course they do. Throw in me, right? Of course they do. <laughs> and I think I, I really caught the gravity of the situation when uh, a family member asked the, the cardiologist, uh, you know, how, how long do we have? Mm. And, oh, and that was a question where I was, you know, just caught off guard by. Um, and, you know, the cardiologist, pretty, pretty straightforward guy, just, he looked at me and just said, you know, I, I give you three to four weeks. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Yeah. So I think at that moment, I kind of caught what was going on, mm. uh, to say the least. And, you know, things just kind of evolved from there. Uh, I would be transferred to the University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics, and uh, I would be, you know, somewhat misdiagnosed where I was told that, you know, I don't need a transplant. Uh, like you said, my heart was four times the size of a, a normal heart. Uh, they felt that they could decrease the inflammation mm. with medication and that, you know, I would be fine. and. Uh, I'd be able to go home. Mm. Um, I stayed in the hospital for about two and a half weeks and then just hit cardiac arrest. Oh, oh wow. Uh, and so when I hit cardiac arrest, I was placed on a, a ventricle pump. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, they have LVADs, right. mm-hmm. uh, left ventricle assistance devices, to allow people to go home and be active with the battery operated pump. 27 years ago, they had what I referred to as Big Bertha, like a, a huge <laughs> machine yeah. that like pumped your blood for you in and out of your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, but the downfall <clears throat> of being on this machine was you could only be on it for 48 hours mm-hmm. before the tissue would die. Wow. Um, That's a lot for a teenager, huh? Right, to take in. Yeah, so so the sense of urgency, you know, definitely got heightened at that point. And at that point, I was actually put on the list for for a transplant. Mm. 
um, a henbale on it before because they thought that they could decrease that inflammation. So, you know, here I am, as you guys well know, uh, people people wait for months, years, right, to to find the right match. Especially back um, then, you know, right. because it was still so new. You know, we're talking twenty seven you know, years ago, and, and it wasn't still experimental at the time, but still it was very much in its infancy, you know, compared yep. to now. Well, very much. I mean, I, uh, at the University of Iowa, I think I was number 58, the 58th transplant oh, that wow. they ever h- had performed. Mm-hmm. So okay, it was still so- even relatively new to, to my surgeons. All right. Well, and did y'all, I mean, the family talk about it did did we what do we think about donation at that point i mean i know from your perspective you're just a, a teen but now that you're older like did your parents tell you like what did we what do we think at that time well in terms of just what what my overall what my family's perspective was on donation about to, yeah transplantation and donation yeah yeah well, well what, what was interesting is i mean we've never had to face this ever before mm-hmm. in my in my family and Thankfully, um, but the year before, you know how when you sign up for benefits for your employer every yeah. November mm-hmm. for the next year. Previous year, my mother had actually signed up for employer benefits, and she elected for like you know two dollars a month to get critical care insurance, mm. which <laughs> covered transplants. Whoa! No doubt. Whoa! So, Good decision, huh? Yeah, great decision. Um, and, yeah, lo and behold, I mean, we, we utilized it, you know, because um, it, it's a huge burden. I mean, healthcare costs today are a huge burden. And even, you know, uh, having a surgery like that's it's a burden, you know, uh, uh, for your family to, to endure financially. But mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, we, we had that covered. But really, that was the only discussion anyone's ever had mm. right. you don't think it's going to happen to you right so then they tell right. you 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 have basically 48 hours on this machine you need a heart so, yeah. so take us through that and, and and you know that time where you found out that you do now possibly have a second chance well 48 hours um yeah at this point when i'm on on the machine um I, i'm you know, incapacitated. I, mm. uh, I have no idea what's going on. That's scary uh, for but mom. My, yeah, very scary for mom and for for my entire family. And, you know, my brother and I, of course, have always had a, a very tight connection. And um, you know, it, it was a trying time for the whole family. Mm. You know, I, I couldn't imagine losing one of my siblings, right. let alone losing my twin brother. Mm-hmm. I'd be devastating no matter what age I'm at, you know, just we, we were graced that in 24 hours, you know, halfway into that time period, mm-hmm. we got the call. Wow. And, and you know, I, I'm blessed uh, that someone gave me the gift and you know, the, the gift of life to be able to survive and, and be the individual I am today. So, Michael, w- were you able to make contact with your donor's family from any time? or? Yeah, I, you know, it, it took a while uh, for me to feel comfortable to, to reach out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just, you know, emotion that goes into that. And there's, 
a lot of thoughts that go into the event that just occurred. Right. You know, regardless of whether an individual might die in a car accident or they might, you know, die of another type of death, someone gave their life Mm -hmm. for you. And, And unless you've been through that type of emotional roller coaster, it's it's one that you've got to process and get through. So it took me a number of years to, to actually absorb that and I bet, and, yeah. And kind of, you know, digest that. And once I did, I, I did reach out to them. Um, as you know, you have the ability to write a letter mm-hmm. to the the last known address and uh if someone's there and wants to receive it and respond, it's, it's, you know, their decision. Or if you can't find them, if they've moved or if they choose not to respond, no indication is given to, to yourself. So Hi. I did reach out. I wrote a, a heartfelt message to them uh, with, with much love and thanks and appreciation. But unfortunately I, for one reason or another, one of those two reasons, mm-hmm. uh, I've been, been unable to to uh, contact them, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's something I would love to do. You know, it's just a it's an emotional thing for me, mm-hmm. and right. it's uh, having a transplant for me. As I've gone twenty seven years, it's no longer about me. Mm-hmm. It's no longer about the you know what I try to live up to for my donor in the life I tried to live for my donor. 14 years ago, I had a son. Oh, wow. And for me, it's it's about him. Wow. Right? And I, I still, I mean, you probably hear my voice, I still get emotional about this. It's about the living legacy. And, and as a parent, you want to see your child do the best they can do. And for me, it's just a little bit more sweeter. Mm. Oh, great for you. Mm. So you were 13, got mm. a new heart, a second chance. And so yeah. life after that was pretty normal? Yeah, I mean, relatively normal. You know, after heart transplant, mm-hmm. you really can't be very active. Um, you've got to, you know, have some dietary restrictions. You have to... You, know, you can't play contact sports. You have to take medication. But, I mean, like I tell people, I, you know what? I wake up every day. Mm-hmm. You know, what What more can you ask for? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, relatively, it's, it was normal. I, I live a very normal life, and, and I always have. And I think that that's one of the things that has allowed me to be so successful in 27 years out, mm. I know I'm an anomaly. Mm. I know that that most people don't get this this far out. That positive um, can-do attitude, huh? Yep, yep. Plays a part. It is. It's it's is positivity. It's not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. helps. And, and just you know, adaptation. You know, adapting to your circumstances and working through those. So. Um, it's been, it's been amazing, Jerry. Well, I love that you pay it forward. And so that's what um, we wanted to, to focus on. So you had this 27 years, this second chance. Um, you have a family. You have children. I want to know how you talk to them about donation. And then I want to talk about some of the things that you have been doing 
to help save more lives. I know that you had the Be the Gift campaign. So if you want to mm-hmm. dive in. Sure. You know, you, you asked kind of how I, I speak to my family about this. Um, you know, my son is, he's very aware of what I do is from a philanthropy standpoint, uh, very supportive. He He's heard me speak uh, as a motivational speaker and this, you know, works into that story. And he understands my health conditions mm-hmm. and and as i mentioned is is supportive and you know him himself has indicated uh the the desire to be an organ donor as well wow my journey along helping people become more aware and hit the registration so to speak is you know it is about paying it forward it's about helping them understand that the gift of giving the gift of life to someone isn't in, uh, like my case isn't just giving that individual a gift of life but it's allowing them to impact the host of other people that they interact with mm-hmm. uh, so as a as a as an, a motivational speaker a keynote speaker i speak to people all the time and give my message of positivity and overcoming obstacles in my journey that I've been through life. And I, you know, I can't help but think that I've inspired one or two of those to do greater, better things. Oh, I'm sure uh, you have. <laughs> much, much more yeah, than one or two. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about my son and the legacy I've left. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, my grandchildren someday. And without that one donor, mm-hmm. none of That's that right, would be right. possible yeah. at all. So I think that when people become more educated on the subject, um, then they can act better. And I think that the timing is also important as well, because we speak to people about organ donation at the DMV, right? Yeah. When you get mm-hmm. when you get your driver's license, right. you know, no one wants to think about their legacy and their, and their death when they're getting their driver's mm-hmm. license. Good uh, point. <laughs> it's, it's a better conversation when we're maybe speaking with a financial advisor about life insurance. Mm-hmm. Maybe we are signing up for an, our employee benefits. Maybe we're speaking to our lawyer about wills and, and trusts. Yep. Yep. Those are where that conversation, I feel, needs to occur. I was uh, I was fortunate enough uh, Donate Life Tennessee found me just via social media and uh, introduced this campaign they're doing uh, called Be the Gift. And I think it's a, it, it's a well thought out uh, campaign that really targets um, awareness as well as um, the need to increase registration all in one. Fantastic uh, campaign. That was awesome. Yeah, it's you know, so you go to the website, uh, be the gift today.com, and you can actually interact with the tool that they have that uh, allows you to put a red bow on yourself mm-hmm. as a symbol of awareness mm-hmm. for organ donation. Some of those and, are pretty creative and clever. Like we, we were laughing at some of the, <laughs> but it got yeah, our attention, awesome. right? Like it makes you I, stop scrolling and, and pay attention. Yeah, it does, and I, you know, I put one on my dog, right? <laughs> and he's, they look cute. Um, 
And, you know, it, it, it brings awareness. And my kind of, I came up with the slogan, like, get your bow on, right? <laughs> and, and it just brings that awareness out. It's a fun tool to utilize. And at the same time, you can, you can register on the, the site as well. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting to me when I speak to one of the professionals around organ donation is you know, there, there's a statistic of 54 to 58% of the population is registered as an organ donor, but 90% agree with it. Right. So yeah. where's the disconnect? Yep. And why the gap? I don't understand, and I'm trying to trying to work with that gap and and uh, figure out how to expose and target more of that gap. And that's kind of what we're uh, focusing on as well. So the things that you're pointing out are the things that we struggle with as well. Um, yeah. We do have an estate planning attorney who came to us and said, everybody's asking me about this, but it needs to be done before this. So now we work on a campaign um, with him. So yeah. um, I think it's about those relationships, those partners. And I think you can start helping us have those conversations with more people. Right. I, I think that as, you know, people need to be, if we don't have those conversations with in the hospital or with the lawyer, or with the financial advisor, then let's start having them at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, death. Yeah, I, you know, some would say that I've been unfortunate to be so close to death. Um, I say I've been fortunate. You know, I've been fortunate because it's opened my eyes to a lot of things mm-hmm. in the world around me and things to be appreciative of. Mm-hmm. Um, if we, as as families, as individuals, just start having that conversation with our family and understanding their wishes, it's super easy to register. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, so there, there's multiple ways to register. You know, it's registerme.org. You know, there's uh, be the gift today.com. Whatever you would like to, however you would like to do it. Um, if the DMV is the place you want to register at, by all means, go and register at the DMV. You know, Michael, uh, I, I think what happens for people is uh, the majority of people, I think, are very well-meaning. But when it comes time to actually follow through, a little kind of, mm, I'm having a second thought about this. I think that's what happens for people. Now, how can you bridge that gap is the real question, I suppose. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I really was thinking about this, you know, Asking the question of, you know, with, with no disrespect to individuals, mm-hmm. what's your hesitation? Right. So right. If, there, if there's 54%, and maybe I'll tweet this after our conversation here, but if there's 54% to 58% that actually do it, mm-hmm. but 90% agree with it, what's the hesitation right. of clicking a button? Well, one of the ideas behind the podcast, you said we just got to get people talking about it around the dinner table. So that was one of the ideas behind starting this podcast to spur those healthy conversations. And what we are learning is that um, so folks who are in uh, the medical world who don't have anything to do with donation are listening and learning those who are going in to be nurses and they're in colleges, they're they're using it. And so we're hoping that uh, we're, we're trying to 
push the needle on that a little bit. Um, and then you're helping yeah. us do that by, by being a part of this. And we know that you have some other um, goals that you'd like to reach us to increasing the registry, saving more lives. Um, but I think it's a team effort. Like we can do what we're doing here in this state and you where you are in, in Colorado. Um, but we're really a big team. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, uh, like they always say, you know, it, it takes a village. And That's right. uh, it does take a, a team approach uh, towards doing things. And you know, unfortunately, I don't think that I think in society, uh, we only focus on causes that affect us. That's yeah. right. right? Yeah. And, and whether it be, you know, uh, for, for myself, I support two organ donation and, and disabilities. Um, and, and, you know, people are gravitated towards those causes that affect them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's really the answer to why we're, there is that disconnect of people saying they, they think it's a great thing, but then they don't mm-hmm. sign up because you just answered that question, I think. It could be. I, 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 won't, I don't want to take that full-fledged for, for the answer because uh, I think there's there might be uh, some other underlying issues. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but, but that could be a big reason. Um, but I hope that my story, sharing my story, with you all sharing it publicly with as I speak to individuals makes makes individuals realize that it could happen to you right that's right it thank you could happen to you know a family member you just you don't know right. so why not be prepared and have your wishes be known and save a life I love it and I I think that we um, are going to want to have you back on the the podcast. I think you have some projects that are cooking that could help tackle some of what you talked about today. So I'm going to keep your number handy, Michael. But if folks want, we know that you're a speaker, you go out, you're funny, uh, you know, we're watching some of your videos, so we enjoy you certainly. But if folks want to know more about you, maybe get in contact with you, how do they do that? A few ways. Uh, First of all, my my website, michaelkutcher.com, pretty easy. Uh, also, I'm pretty uh, pretty big on Facebook and Twitter uh, with a hashtag or a, a call sign of mcooks, M-K-U-T-C-H. And uh, I'd love to hear from people and uh, hear their stories. And, and uh, if I can inspire anyone uh, further or connect someone to, to go to our website, uh, registerme.org or uh, bethegifttoday.com, uh, to register and, and be an organ donor, um, then I've, I've done some uh, some good for today. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, sharing your story, making this a priority to talk about organ tissue and eye donation, and hopefully um, we'll do what you just said, save more lives. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. Thank you. This next segment, Joe, I'm kind of nervous here. Sally is on to something, interpreting body language. When she told me she was researching it more, I got nervous because we're in this tiny room. Of course. And, and, I'm and nervous, your nerves are right? obviously yeah. showing through here. Yeah, oh, there you go. man. All right. <laughs> Teach us, Sally. You know, when we're having conversation with someone, most of us generally say, well, it's our words account. No, oh, I, I've shoot. got I've got information here for you. 
like seven percent of what we're conveying is in our words. Mm-hmm. Seven? That, Did you say seven? Seven. Just seven. 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 Oh, thirty-eight percent is vocals. Okay. I mean, how is your voice? You know, are, are you making? You know, raising like it, tone. lowering it, tone, this okay. sort of thing. But fifty-five percent is what are you doing with the rest of your body? I'm using my hands wow. to talk. I can't talk. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I can't. That's it. So, you know, one of the things that, that, of course, we look at facial expressions because that does tell you some of what's going on. But, you know, some people are very good at controlling that, except, you know, when when somebody does catch you and maybe not telling the whole truth, mm-hmm. there are certain things which are just it's a reflex. You cannot change it because heart rate goes up. Your breathing starts to increase. You can't change that. I mean, you I. Maybe someone out there is really, really good at controlling it. But also, when you ask someone a question, you ever notice how occasionally you'll get folks that they kind of their head kind of jerks a little bit mm-hmm. when you ask them a question? Mm-hmm. Joey well, just did that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, many times, you know, people are lying about something. I because knew it's it. that. Nope. I knew it. I'm thinking, why are you asking that question? <laughs> Well, it's because, it, again, that's a reflexive sort of okay. thing. So, okay, To one side or the other, does it matter? Well, no, because just, people, oh, it okay. just all depends. Now, you know, we're not talking about general, everyday, someone you know communication. You're off the hook, Joe. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're Moving off the on. hook on this. One. We're just talking about every day okay. you run into someone, you have a conversation, uh-huh. and you know maybe they're not being quite honest with you. Yeah. But when you start watching these different signals, because the body can't lie. Yeah. You cannot control well, that. Well, I just said the other day to my husband, I said, I had to control my face. And I hope that I didn't. Because we were at a, a ball game and there were some louder parents than they probably should have been. And my face must have been like, shh, it looks, shh, it looks don't like, do that. Yeah. You give that angry emoji looking face. Well, yeah, not, there I you go. I was just like, there you go. hey, let's not do that. Right? But what well, you know what happens too is sometimes people get very very still. Yeah. You know, generally, if we're a little bit nervous, we kind of fidget and all that. Right, the lip. But every now and then, you run across folks that you're talking with them about something, and they're just kind of almost in a catatonic state. Mm. I mean, they're hardly moving, which means they're they're trying to figure out how are they going to counter or or how mm. they're going to respond to this question, mm. and they don't want to give off any signals right. to mm-hmm. you. And poker, we call that tails. Uh, that's it. Okay. That's it. You know, it's called so, uh, reading the tell. Right. That's right. Uh, or they repeat words and phrases My, well, on a regular oh, basis. You can't do that to me, Sally. <laughs> yep. I'm guilty. There you go. Well, and you know, because if you, you know, in, in the field of mental health, a lot of times you do repeat yourself because sometimes people don't hear you and you want to make sure that you're actually communicating on the same level with one another. Well, especially if they're looking at their phone when I'm telling you well, a very important it. story that's about uh-huh. the outfit I just bought. Joey. That's oh, it. <laughs> and another telltale sign, um, sometimes when you're talking with someone and they don't want to answer a question or deal with the issue that at hand, they'll put their hand over their mouth. Mm. And, and when you see that, that is telling you right then and there, ooh, this person, mm, they're having a problem here responding to you. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye on that. My friends will thank you later, Sal. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, you know, people instinctively will cover, like, their throat uh-huh. or, you know, they fold their arms across their chest. Yeah. Or sometimes they'll, they'll hold their head. Mm-hmm. Not like they're thinking about something. It's just like, oh, no, I've got to answer mm-hmm. this question. Or they'll put their hands across their abdomen mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. You know, it's, a, it's a vulnerable spot. And mm-hmm. 
in the way that we we think internally. You know, I'm thinking about. I'm talking to you and Joey now, right? Like I'm thinking, yeah, I know. What are your, what are your signs, your tells? <laughs> that's it. But <laughs> lastly, oh my God, Joey's talking to me again. Yeah, that's it. But lastly, and most importantly, oh, you know, the most honest part of the body are the feet. Okay. Okay. Because the the feet and legs totally nonverbal. Uh-huh. Okay. And when people start shuffling their feet, you can tell that they're uncomfortable, they're nervous, they want to escape, they want to get away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you find that when it comes to honesty, it decreases as we move up the body from the feet to the head. Oh. And when you see people pointing feet, you know, in a direction, it's, you know, intentional. Towards okay. the door. I'm almost they're out okay. of it. <laughs> no, they're okay. Not a problem there. Or, you know, toe pointing, usually that means they're happy and everything's good. Um, but then when you see people in a starter position, you know what I'm talking about? How they got one foot kind of mm-hmm. up front and mm-hmm. one behind? Mm-hmm. That means they're wanting to get away from you. Uh, okay. Now, this is do all that. done. I probably do that. This well, is not done on a conscious basis. Or you see people do leg or foot splays. You know, they're standing like, you know, legs mm-hmm. spread wide mm-hmm. apart or uh-huh. whatever. And usually that's a sign of control, intimidation, territorial. Oh, that just means I'm wrapping it up. Don't ask another question. We're moving. No. <laughs> or you see people crossing their legs when they're standing. That means that they're just totally. Oh, when they're high. standing. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm crossing my legs now. <laughs> yeah, well, high comfort. They don't have any difficulty. They're not getting ready to run away from you or anything. Uh, and then when you have people that are crossing their legs, you know, when they're seated, and it depends on which way they cross their legs, dictates what emotion it is. If your leg, say we're sitting next to one another, uh-huh. as we are, Lori, yes. and the outside of your leg is towards me, that means that you're you're just not real comfortable with me. Uh-huh. But if you have the inside of your leg, which would be the most vulnerable toward me, I know that you trust me. You're okay with me. Like now? Yeah, mm-hmm. that we're okay. You, I do you, like you, know. you Sal. I'm, oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, one thing. You ever notice when you're talking with someone, when you're seated. She's looking at you there. And they have their their feet locked behind the legs of their chair. Yeah. Yeah. That is a major (laughs) indicator that this person really is nervous and they don't want to have to deal with you. So keep that in mind next time. Planted myself. So locked behind the chair. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Behind the legs of the chair. Uh Yeah. Uh Interesting. I see you taking a visual around the room. How I are we? I'm, yeah. I'm looking at You think we're okay? Here? Pretty confident? I, I think y'all are pretty confident. I think we're good. I think she's diagnosing us as we <laughs> yeah, speak. I'm sure she All is. right, that was fun. That was interesting. Hope you learned a little something too. Maybe you have a topic you'd like for her to cover. Info at thegiftedlife.org. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we like to honor a hero. Today's episode, that hero is Mark Phillips. And we learn about Mark from his family. Mark Phillips was a youth pastor at a church outside of Portland. In June of 2006, Mark gathered a group to go to Louisiana to help in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. His wife, Marissa, stayed home with their eight-year-old son, David. On the morning of June 21st, Marissa received a call that Mark had collapsed. Mark had died. Marissa and the family made the decision to proceed with donation. Mark was able to donate both corneas to give sight to two people in the Baton Rouge area. His arm and leg bones and tissue went to Walter Reed Medical Center in Washington, D.C. to assist military personnel who had been injured during overseas actions. 
In November of 2006, Marissa visited Baton Rouge for a remembrance ceremony, and she remembers they took me in like their own. Marissa has since become involved with Donate Life Northwest to donate her energy to the cause. And now we pause to say thank you to Mark for the gift of life. our question and answer segment today. How does donation work if a person dies when away from their home state? Joe, you want to take it? Yeah, well, the donation process is, is in general is the same. Uh, one difference would be uh, we always check the registry to see if you've already decided to be an organ donor. And, and in this case, we would check the registry of the state that you reside. Or that national registry. Or, yeah, yeah or the national registry, registerme.org. Mm-hmm. So we always do those, you know, those checks first. Uh, now the donation uh, itself might change a little bit in time frames, uh, just in case, say for example, you've got family members that are coming in from out of state, we'll make sure we do everything in our power to accommodate mm-hmm. for that time frame uh, difference. So, uh, but outside of that, it's the end result is still the same. You are saving a life or multiple lives of those mm-hmm. that are waiting on the national waiting list. A hero. And we'd like to hear from you. Your story or question is important. Uh, your story can inspire others to give the gift of life. You can find us on social media, email, and you can even call us, 504-648-3477. Leave us a voice message. And that'll do it for episode 103 of The Gifted Life. Yeah, we certainly have to thank Michael for sharing his wonderful story. So inspiring. So positive. Everything he's doing to pay it forward. It's just really nice guy and great to have him on. I can't wait to see what he does next, right? Yep. Yeah. And I think it was really good to hear that he wrote to his donor's family. You know, uh, even though he said he's not yet made contact, um, we know just from, from our experience that families do like to hear from recipients and sometimes they're just not able to respond. So for him to say so and that how much he appreciated it for others to hear this I think is a very important message also in, in addition you know that that donor family saying yes as he said didn't just impact him mm-hmm. impacted his now having a son and impacting I think he said a host of people mm-hmm. you know with that one yes so it's it's so important we talk about one but there's so many that the yes impacts. And one never knows that just by Michael talking about this today, that maybe his family will hear. I mean, his donor's family, maybe they will hear this podcast um, and realize how thankful he is. Yep. Never know who we might reach. There you go, an inspiration. Hopefully we reached you um, to take action. Registerme.org, that's the National Registry, a one-stop shop, and you can um, sign up to be a hero to save lives one day, and we hope that you do that. Um, above all, we hope that you go out and do something that you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. That's what it's all about. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gendry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.